Well, we're here. It's Friday morning. Nice to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning. Bite-sized chunks of news, my views, and your feedback as well from our Facebook pages, Marcus Paul in the morning and Starter FM. And of course, uh, you can listen live each and every day to us 7 till 9 a.m. on Starter FM and of course the iHeart TuneIn Radio apps. It is wonderful to have your company. Podcast, broadcast drops a little later in the day if you miss any of the program, although I hope you catch it all live. Gee, there's a bit of news around as well this morning. Blockade Australia protesters about to be deported back to Germany. I'll get to that story and get your thoughts and many people already commenting on the Facebook page in relation to that. I'll get to some of your, uh, speaking of comments, I received a really nice email and an interesting one as well in relation to the price of petrol. It came all the way from New Zealand. What exactly is uh, the Ardern government doing over there to ease cost of living pressures in particular, pressure at the pump, at the Bowser? Well, we'll find out. I received, as I say, I received a great email and I do like hearing from you and thank you to Liam who sent me this note. We'll get to that story very soon. Um, speaking of petrol, uh, yesterday I had a little fun uh, and uh, I put a post up uh, that sort of at first glance looks like uh, I'm telling everybody that I was actually uh, robbed. Well, it was daylight robbery. I put petrol in my car. And I said I was robbed at the 7-Eleven and I put a little story up and right at the end I gave it away by saying, you know, to the police when they asked me who the robber was, I said, look, there he is, number pump, pump number one. Anyway, a lot of people commented on that. It was a bit of fun and um, yeah, and also I, I noticed that one of the newsrooms in, in, in Sydney, Channel 7, must have received a screenshot of my post and a journo even contacted me, first of all asking me if I was okay. <laughs> and uh, asking if there was any CCTV vo- uh, vision of the uh, the robbery. <laughs> I should have uh, I should have played along with it. No, but I wouldn't do that to a fellow hardworking journo. It was a bit of fun. Also, um, a list has. Yep, there is a list. There's always plenty of lists, but the latest from Roy Morgan Research has our most and least trusted politicians. I'll go through the list for you soon. It may not surprise you who's the least trusted, but the most trusted may well surprise you. Certainly did to me. Now, political stickers on garbage bins. Yay or nay? Uh, Look, I haven't got a problem with it, uh, no matter what people put on their bins, but local councils, including the Hornsby Council, do. They don't want their property to face. But I wonder if there's a little bit more to it, considering... Hornsby Council, Uh, the Mayor is Philip Ruddick, former Liberal MP, and a lot of the bins up there in the the Hornsby uh, Shire are being, well, plastered with anti-Scott Morrison and Barnaby Joyce uh, posters. In other words, chuck them out in the bin. There's a picture of ScoMo and old Beetroot there holding a, uh, a lump of coal. Anyway, I'll get to all those stories. Some great music for you. The latest from Air News as well as we always uh, bring you up to date. It's wonderful to have your company on this Friday morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. <laughs> All right, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Before we get on to all of the day's news and and some of the big stories over the last 24 hours, I thought we'd do something a little different here. I just want to play a bit of my uh, my chat with Isaac Butterfield. 
And Bluey, uh, we did that uh, video podcast now, what, nearly two weeks ago. And there was a segment which was really interesting uh, that Isaac, myself and Bluey spoke about. And the question was posed, should kids be forced into a trade? Here's how it all went down. What do you think, like, on the topic of trades, do you think kids should be getting trades straight Absolutely. away? Absolutely. Like, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't worry um, unless it's a uh, specific field like law or medicine, yes. whatever. About uni. Get out of school. Could, get a trade. Could not agree more. Get in there because uh, – and be uh, the, the maker of your own destiny. And, and even if it's not a trade, something where, you know, there's career progression. Yep. Like, and just learn. Don't do radio. No, don't do radio. Don't do radio. But I just, I feel like there's so many kids. I also worry about kids that are going in the disability sector at the moment. Like they're going into jobs where it's, uh, when they're working for the NDIS and they're carers, they're support workers. There's a lot of kids going to that and it's good money. They're doing a great job. Don't, not even saying that. It's good money, but they're, all of a sudden they're making 1200 bucks a week. Yep. And they're only going to, I think they're going to burn out. That's my point. And then they're going to be without another – because I worked in that and I burnt out. Yeah. Fucking a lot. I just couldn't do it anymore. I was working with – I worked with kids who were moved from homes and then I was working with disabled kids and and adults. And I I just got burnt out at a point. Like you just – yeah. You start to think you're losing, particularly when you lose, you're working with people who have mental health issues. Yep. You start to lose your shit. Like I thought I thought I had schizophrenia. I don't know why. I just I said to my doctor, I thought I saw something the other day. He goes, "What? When you were driving?" I said, "Yeah, I saw a shadow." I said, "Yeah, it was probably a fucking shadow." Yeah. He said, "If you start to see things out the front of your house, then give me a call." <laughs> <laughs> but it was because I was around people who had these problems, and I feel like these kids who go straight from school to working in a job where they're making twelve hundred bucks a week, I feel like there is a worry or there should be a concern with what they're going to do after that because I feel like they'll burn out but at some even point. so though that, I mean these are important life lessons yeah fuck yeah yeah it's a it gives it's, you skills it's a hurdle it's a I think you need to have a breakdown at some point yeah I think it's oh, we've all have you had a breakdown I've yeah. had a breakdown yeah well, when I started having anxiety problems, I yeah, had a bit I had of anxiety a, and stuff. I had a full me- mental, not a full mental breakdown, but half mm. a mental breakdown. I was, yep. I was, I thought, you know, horrible things and all that type of stuff. But it was a beneficial lesson. Yeah, and I'm glad I had it. And if I didn't, I think I wouldn't be where I am today. Well, there you go. And I wouldn't be the person I am today. It's like it's, a circuit breaker. It is similar to what I think you'll go through and what you'll look back on this whole situation as. Okie doke, welcome back on this Friday morning. Marcus Paul in the morning on Starter FM and, of course, your favourite radio app, be it the iHeartRadio platform or, of course, TuneIn. It would appear that the state and federal governments have had a gutful of these protesters, these climate change protesters from Blockade Australia. The two German brothers involved in the protests this week that blocked peak hour traffic in Sydney will now be deported as the state government announces a crackdown on disruptive protests. The men from Climate Action Group Blockade Australia, who I've had a history with, uh, certainly speaking to, remember last year when they uh, blockaded the uh, coal terminals up there in the Hunter Valley in Newcastle? I remember speaking to a young lady who was uh, on a monopole perched high above a coal train and speaking to her live as police gathered below her trying to urge her to get down. Anyway, these blokes were arrested after suspending themselves from similar poles in and around the Port Botany shipping terminal in Sydney on Tuesday and Wednesday morning. 
And yesterday, the Federal Immigration Minister, Alex Hawke, said they would be deported after their visas were cancelled on good order grounds, unquote. Good order grounds, whatever that means. Anyway, he told Sydney Radio, so we've cancelled those visas and then the Australian Border Force will be effecting their removal from Australia as soon as possible. Meanwhile, the state government has announced protesters who disrupt traffic on any bridge or tunnel in the state could now be slapped with hefty fines of up to 22 grand or, and rather, not or, but and, two years jail. It's a big penalty. The government promised to crack down on protesters after Blockade Australia climate activists pulled off a spate of risky actions to shut down operations at Port Botany, which is uh, the state's largest container port, for three consecutive days this week. In fact, yesterday morning, police arrested a man who was hanging from a pole nine metres above the rail line that serves the port, again blocking all container trains in and out. Now, acting Premier Paul Toole, Yesterday, he blew another vow. (laughs) Enough is enough, he told reporters. He's really pissed. He says the government will no longer tolerate the disgraceful stunts that have disrupted traffic. He said, over the last few days, we've seen protesters around this state and clearly they have no respect for the law. Enough is enough. These kinds of acts, according to the acting Premier Paul Toole, are just disgraceful. The increased fines and prospect of two years jail would apply to anyone caught protesting on bridges and roads across the state. Now, Blockade Australia yesterday said Alex Pierce, the 33-year-old man detained yesterday morning, was suspended off a monopole blocking the rail line to the port. Given Australia's internationally recognised role in fueling climate change, Blockade Australia said it was, quote, a necessary response after decades of traditionally climate campaigning has not worked. The two German men who protested will face court, and then I think you'll find they'll be booted out of the country. Rhodes Minister Natalie Ward said the disruptions were unacceptable, calling the activists selfish protesters. She told reporters, we respect your right to get your message across, but there is no place for protests on our bridges or tunnels. The government, meanwhile, are pushing for further legislation to deter future protests. The Attorney General of the state, Mark Speakman, went further dubbing them economic vandals. Well, he's not the only one. David Elliott, last year when I spoke to him about this mob, said that they were, uh, again, economic vandals. Um, Now, Mark Speakman said, I'm going to make sure there is an effective deterrent in our law to deal with these economic vandals. What we can further do is to expand legislation to go beyond bridges and tunnels to the road network generally and to transport and industrial facilities. All right, Blockade Australia, for their uh, part, they have vowed to continue disrupting roads and rail traffic into the port, and they are calling for a public disruption of Sydney, the entire city, from June the 27th. Now, the International Panel on Climate Change report warned last month that Australia will have more floods, bushfires and droughts and stands to lose entire ecosystems to climate change. Well, if you want to have your comment on that, uh, I posted a story up on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. 
Okay, welcome back. Friday morning. Nice to have your company. Marcus Paul, don't forget to, of course, you can always send me an email. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. I enjoy reading your feedback during the day while I'm preparing uh, the program. Uh, This one has come through from one of my listeners overseas. He is a Kiwi. Uh, G'day Marcus, been hearing your comments about fuel prices and excise in Australia and thought you might be interested to hear what the New Zealand government has done. The government ended up cutting excise by 25 cents a litre, but also used its surplus COVID funds to top up any lost revenue. It also gave money to councils to halve public transport fares. Wow, really? I personally think it's a brilliant move. While relief at the pump is needed, it's great to encourage more people to use public transport. For me, who spends $20 to $30 a week on the bus, it's a huge win. I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on whether you think a similar approach should be taken as well in Australia. Keep up the great work. Liam, who comes from Christchurch in New Zealand. Well, Liam, yes. Uh, It sounds like a wonderful idea, but you've got a progressive government there in New Zealand and uh, a leader who seemingly uh, puts people first. And uh, Jacinda Ardern has come up with wonderful policies, and this is another example. So I agree. Yes, I, I would love to have the fuel excise cut here in Australia, certainly by 25 cents a litre. I think, what did I mention the other day? Uh, I think it's around 50-odd cents a litre that we're paying straight to the government every time we put a a little bit of petrol, whatever we can afford, in our tanks. I like the idea as well of monies being given to local governments to halve public transport fares. That's happening in New Zealand. Uh, well, I posed the question after I, uh, I shared Liam's email. I posed the question on the Facebook page. Mark says they could start by not subsidising the big fossil fuel industry. $56 billion a year right there. Um, I love Australia, ashamed of our government. That's a good name for a Facebook page. They, the coalition, would have to check to see if the corporations are okay with it first. Uh, Damien, the Greens in Queensland are pushing for super cheap public transport. I think it's a great idea. Ian Kerr writes, the marketer will come up with a plan similar to that of New Zealand, announce it, win the election, then as usual, fail to implement the plan. The average Australian is a sucker for punishment. Stacey writes, Marcus, I look at the past when cars were first produced and the commercials were all about the better future we'd have with cars getting us to where we needed to be faster. We'd be working less. L-M-F-A-O. Yep, that was a lie. (laughs) All right, well, there you go. I don't know. I think it's a great idea. Apparently, Alastair lets me know that uh, in Tasmania, they've made public transport free for five weeks. Is that true? Well, free for five weeks, not bad. Marcus Paul in the morning. So, uh, like Liam in Christchurch, if you want to touch base via an email, please feel free to send me one. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. 
Friday morning, nice to have your company. Just wanted to touch on a couple of other posts that we made on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Facebook page this week. And again, I thank you for uh, responding very well, as you always do to these posts. Uh, Plenty of likes and importantly, lots of interactions and comments and shares. And I do appreciate it. The story on the most and least trusted politicians got you all thinking. It was a poll conducted by Roy Morgan Research of around 1,400 Australians over 14 days. And the list was a little surprising, I have to say. I guess I'm not so surprised to see that the least trusted list included the Prime Minister and many from the LNP. The most trusted, though, surprised me with maybe one or two of the inclusions. But let's go through the list. So according to this research by Roy Morgan, and they're a reputable research company, the least trusted politician in Australia is the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. No surprises there. So he came in at number one. Number two, old Spud, Peter Dutton. He is the second least trusted politician in our country, according to the research. Number three, the Deputy Prime Minister and the leader of the National Party, federally, Barnaby Beetroot Joyce, number three. Number four, One Nation leader, Pauline Hanson which is a bit of a surprise. Uh, Pauline seems to garner a lot of support. Maybe it's a very vocal minority, uh, but she does seem to garner a lot of support, particularly on social media. Number five, Craig Kelly. Yep, he is the fifth least trusted politician, according to the research. Number six, the New South Wales, and this is the first uh, state leader to make the list, Dominic Perrottet, New South Wales Premier, the sixth least trusted politician. Angus Taylor at number seven, Michaelia Cash at number eight. The federal treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, made the top ten. He came in at number nine as the least trusted politician. And Matthew Guy, well, he came in at number ten, the second state leader. All right, what about the other side of the coin? The most trusted politicians. Now, this surprised me. Penny Wong is the most trusted politician of all of them, according to the research by Roy Morgan. Not if you've read (laughs) any of the headlines in the last week or so. Apparently, she's a part of the mean girls of the Federal Labor Party. Anyway, Penny Wong. Number two, Anthony Albanese. The would-be Prime Minister, some say the PM in waiting, the Federal Leader of Labor, who at the moment, according to all polls, is the preferred Prime Minister. Not really surprised. I think Anthony Albanese over the years has proven that he can be trusted more so than those on the other side. Tanya Plibersek is also in there at number three. WA Premier Mark McGowan is at number four. Number five, now this was a slight surprise, Jackie Lambie, the Tasmanian senator. She comes in at number five as the most trusted politician in Australia. And at number six, Greens leader Adam Bantz. Well, there you go. That wraps it up. So Penny Wong, number one, the most trusted, Anthony Albanese, the second, and down it goes to Adam Bant at number six. I don't know why they included 
that they didn't include 7, 8, 9, 10 in the least trusted on my list anyway. But as I wrote on social media, he's making a list and checking it twice. <laughs> All right. Uh, also, uh, I posted a... Um, this is funny. I posted a, a story yesterday, and I'll read it again. It, it got a few people, including Channel 7 News in Sydney. Morning all. Firstly, I'm okay. And I, I posted a photograph with this of me looking quite upset and annoyed and all the rest of it. Firstly, I'm okay, though I'm pretty bloody shaken up. If you haven't heard already, I was robbed at the 7-Eleven late last night. After my hand stopped shaking, I was able to ring the police. They were fantastic. The young constable from Penrith quickly calmed me down as my blood pressure was going through the roof. My money was gone, though. The officer asked me for a description of the attacker, and I quickly walked him over <laughs> to petrol pump number one. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, that's how I felt. $2.20 on a litre. Are you kidding me? Anyway, oddly enough, I received an email. I won't name the young journalist. She apparently had received a, a note. Someone had screenshotted my post and sent it to the Seven Newsroom in Sydney. And I won't name her. Hi, Marcus. Hope you are okay. Did you catch the robbers on CCTV? Regards, beep, Seven News. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear, oh dear. I, I did email her back saying, oh, I don't know whether you read the whole post. It was a bit of a joke and, you know, a daylight robbery joke about the cost of petrol. And, uh, you know, to her credit, she replied, oh, that's very funny. No, sorry, somebody only sent me a screenshot and I hadn't. That's why I thought I'd get in contact with you. And she said, ah, very funny. Yeah, well, it is funny, but not really, is it, when you consider how much money we are paying in petrol. Marcus Paul in the morning, if you want to have uh, your say, of course, you can do so on the Facebook page at any time. Oh, just quickly, another story that I did mention that many of you were commenting on. Should bins be allowed to display political messages? I'll talk about that coming up very soon. It's Friday morning. Nice to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning. Friday morning. Nice to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, there's been a bit of a stink and one Sydney council has had enough of people sticking stickers or posters on the wheelie bins. You know, our wheelie bins we wheel out every Tuesday, Wednesday night, and they get picked up by the local council trucks. Anyway, should bins be allowed to display political messages? Because some of the bins up there in Hornsby Shire, so the Hornsby council, the council who are upset about this, some people have been putting posters on their bin saying chuck them out with a picture of the Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Deputy Prime Minister old Beetroot Joyce fondling a lump of coal. Alright, so the question is, should bins be allowed to display political messages? Well, according to Hornsby Shire Council no, they should not. And they've threatened to either confiscate the bins or not to empty the ones that have been so-called vandalised. You've got to remember, and I kind of understand where they're coming from, you need to remember that this is council property and maybe there's a little bit of uh, narkiness involved considering it is a Liberal council up there in Hornsby and Philip Ruddick, an old Liberal uh, MP, is the mayor. 
So maybe he's a little upset that some people are writing uh, and leaving uh, messages about the current government on their bins, saying effectively that they need to be booted out of office at the next election. Anyway, Brett says, if it's to get rid of the Liberal Party, I think it's fitting. Put a bigger picture of ScoMo all over it. (laughs) Jane says, no, bins should not be allowed to display political messages. Axel says, on a bin, I'm not so sure but only if it's council property. If it's private, do whatever you like. Only reason I say it is because if I moved into a place and I had to deal with a bin that had an LMP supporting sticker on the bin, I'd die from embarrassment and shame. Dear, oh dear. Billy Nudgel says, why not, Marcus? The world has gone a bit haywire. A bit of stimulation when you put the bin out. Peter says, well... I thought we had a supposed democracy in this country and freedom of speech. David says, I guess if Morrison's face is to be kept off things containing rubbish, it should also be kept off Murdoch's media outlets. They're always full of rubbish and on it goes. Oh, and uh, just on this one as well, and Chris King writes, funny how the council never complained about stickers telling people to slow down You know, kids on the street and all the rest of it, they never complained about this sticker on many bins. It almost seems like they have an issue with the content matter and not the sticker per se. Well, of course it is. I have no doubt. And to be perfectly honest, because it's the Hornsby Shire Council, I would imagine, uh, you know, being a Liberal Council, they're not happy (laughs) with anti-LNP stickers on their property. I guess it makes sense. Anyway, uh, there's still plenty of time for you to make your comments on that. It's up on the Facebook page. There's, well, plenty of comments already, but I would love to get your thoughts on it, and I'll catch up with them a little later in the day and over the weekends. Or if you want, you can send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm. Friday morning, nice to have your company. Hope you're doing well, hope you're dry and getting to work safely or off to school or uni safely. Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, if you look at a, uh, a table of some of the least trusted professions, I don't know why, uh, but <laughs> real estate agents are up often on the naughty list. And maybe this is an example as to why it was big news yesterday. Three real estate agents are among six people charged over a scheme in which they allegedly use names of unsuspecting members of the public to pocket hundreds of thousands of dollars in COVID rent relief payments for homes they were actually using as drug labs. At the height of the Delta pandemic between July and August last year, police shut down a number of major hydroponic cannabis labs in homes around Fairfield, while also seizing an estimated $2 million worth of the drug. But investigators soon linked the properties to what they allege is a criminal syndicate that profited from not only selling cannabis, but also fraudulently obtained COVID hardship benefits from the New South Wales government. Bastards. Now, on Wednesday of this week, officers swooped on six people, including the alleged ringleader, Fairfield real estate agent Nasser Kalash, who's 52, who they charged 
with 10 offences including knowingly direct the activities of a criminal group, cultivate prohibited plants and use false document to obtain financial advantage. Now, the Fairfield Crime Manager, Detective Inspector Luke Scott, said, We will be alleging these people use their position as trusted insiders in the real estate industry to defraud their own clientele. So, what are they suggesting, the police? That they just took names of people who were clients. And they also obviously took public money for those who needed it most. The properties that were allegedly utilised by this syndicate to grow cannabis were subleased to members of the public who had no idea their name was on the lease agreement, as was the case when it came to the fraudulently obtained rental relief and bond payments. The nature of this fraud is particularly scandalous and predatory. The community won't tolerate it, and those involved now have our court system to answer to. Well, the allegations are extremely serious, and if they're found guilty, I hope the book is thrown at them. During last year's lengthy COVID lockdown, payments of $4,500 per property were made available by the state government to landlords who provided rental relief to tenants afforded, affected rather by wage cuts or lost jobs. Police allege the syndicate made large-scale applications under the Residential Tenancy Support Scheme. Just moments after Kalash's arrest on Wednesday, police swooped on other alleged syndicate members. Claudius Isaac, who's aged 44, was picked up by police at a home in Bonnyrigg. He, along with Muhammad al-Naziri, 35, and Habeb Tomka, 23, are alleged by police to have been involved in the cultivation of cannabis and were each charged with offences including participating in a criminal group. Fellow real estate agents Antonio Fidel, 35, and Sabrina Losciano, 37, were also charged with several offences including participating in a criminal group and making a false document to obtain financial advantage. I mean, really? How low can people go? How low can be... And well done. Well done to uh, the police and uh, those working hard out there in that Fairfield area on trying to crack down on these arse wipes. Sorry, but that's exactly the kind of people they are. Fraudulently claiming money when they shouldn't be, using, allegedly using, clients' names and just ripping off the taxpayer. Unbelievable. Well done on the arrests to New South Wales Police. Okie doke, Friday morning. Marcus Paul in the morning on Starter FM. We're, of course, live from 7 to 9 each Monday to Friday. Uh, also on the iHeartRadio app and tune in and on the Prawncast podcast a little later in the day. Well, when I went to university and did my journalism degree... I have to say, uh, with respect, I really had no interest sexually in any of my lecturers. Uh, A, they were a little older, well, in some cases a lot older, and B, they were men. Anyway, a story that popped up yesterday that I found amusing. No sex, please. We are lecturers. Horny boffins. (laughs) That's a great way to start a sentence, isn't it? Horny boffins at the University of Sydney have been banned from sleeping with their students. 
While other universities have maintained the rights of professors to have sex with young adults they teach, just as long as they jump through the necessary bureaucratic hoops. The quote, no sex with students edict was triggered by staff concerns that there was a policy gap. Under the rules introduced last year at the University of Sydney, a student's current lecturer, tutor or research supervisor are warned that sexual or romantic relationships are never appropriate. In contrast, numerous other New South Wales universities allow their staff to have sexual relationships with students if they are declared. (laughs) What is there a declaration for? Where do you find it? (laughs) Sorry. A University of Sydney spokeswoman said the decision was triggered by the expectation that staff must be aware of the inherent power dynamics between a student and a tutor tutor or lecturer. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, (laughs) There is a power dynamic. You know, uh, maybe sexual favours for an A or a, a pass if they're that bad. I don't know, but I get it. I get why there needs to be some uh, policies and procedures in place. Anyway, University of Sydney sociologist Dr Salvatore Babones said the sex ban was in keeping with societal expectations. We are dealing with not quite children but young adults, he said. Socially speaking, a 40-year-old adult having a relationship with a 19-year-old student Even if legally it was consensual, in practice we would consider that questionable. Well, if it's a student and a a teacher, yes. Meanwhile, at the University of Technology in Sydney, a spokesman said consensual relationships between staff and students are not banned per se, but they are, quote, strongly discouraged. University of Newcastle Deputy Vice-Chancellor Professor Mark Hoffman said banning sex was unnecessary. The university, that's the University of Newcastle, has apparently a procedure in place to manage such situations. (laughs) I'd love to know what the procedure is. What is it like, federal politics? Is there a no-bonk ban? Anyway, the University of New South Wales does not ban relationships so long as they are declared. Well, if you've got a, an interesting story like that, send it to me, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. No names, no pactorals, but I'd love to hear your stories on that. Interesting. Welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, I don't use Uber, okay? I'm a little old-fashioned. I have had people in my family and some friends that have owned uh, the rights to have taxis on the road, they've owned number plates and all the rest of it, and I saw uh, their investments decimated. Uh, I'm not blaming Uber for it, but probably uh, legislation by the government that allowed, you know, unfair or next to zero compensation for licence holders of taxi plates. Anyway, so that's where I stand on it. I, to be perfectly honest, if I get the opportunity, I'd rather grab a cab than an Uber, and also I, I think these days the, you know the, maybe Ubers might be a touch less expensive, but when they jack up the price during you know the the demand period, you, you're better off getting a cab, I think. Anyway, uh, compensation payments for New South Wales taxi license owners 
whose livelihoods took a hit from Uber, could increase from $20,000 to $200,000 under a proposal being developed by the New South Wales government. Well, about time. The $1 billion package developed in consultation with the industry will be considered by Cabinet's powerful Expenditure Review Committee. The dramatic increase in payments would be funded by an extension to the $1 passenger service levy currently applied to every trip in a taxi or ride-sharing car. (laughs) So anyway, it doesn't matter what happens, we'll all be footing the bill, passengers that is. It was introduced in 2018, this $1 passenger service levy, as a temporary measure to help the struggling industry. The value of taxi licences plummeted when ride-sharing services like Uber entered the market. In 2016, then-Transport Minister, the useless Andrew Constance, announced a $250 million package to support the industry, giving licence holders $20,000 in transitional payments. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, David. You know, the number plates were at one stage worth millions. All you gave them was 20 grand. David Elliott, who took over the transport portfolio last year, has told the industry he did not believe the relief measures went far enough. Well, he was right about that. Earlier this month, Mr Elliott assured taxi drivers through a budget estimates hearing that the government has got their back, quote unquote. He said... I am very conscious of the fact that they, through no fault of their own, have lost the value of a business, and in many respects, tragically, that includes the life savings of families. Senior sources indicated that given the state of the state's financial finances, any new budget proposals would be unlikely to pass the Expenditure Review Committee unless they were offset by cuts or extra revenue measures. That means... Unless the compensation proposal is fully funded through an extension to the passenger service levy, it is unlikely to be accepted. Well, I hope it is accepted. And it needs to be fast-tracked. You know, uh, cab owners, traditional licence plate owners, taxis, have been waiting now for far too long. There are around 5,000 taxi licence holders currently in New South Wales, and their licences are worth diddly squat, really, in comparison to what they used to be worth. I think they deserve a better deal. And if it means they are compensated to the tune of $200,000, I think many will still be very short-changed. But it's a big increase from $20,000. But ultimately, whatever the government compensation package will be, you can bet your bottom dollar, (laughs) pun intended, that us passengers will foot the bill. Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back. Friday, Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, as this is before the courts and obviously uh, the former Deputy Premier of New South Wales is a litigious man. I need to be a little careful. So as always, I'm going to play it with a fairly straight bat. Although I will be mentioning the reply from my mate Jordan Shanks. A judge has sensationally slammed online comedian Friendly Geordies as a bully over a, quote, shameful and, quote, disgusting video in which he racially attacked former Deputy Premier John Barillaro. Mr Barillaro, as you know, is suing tech giant Google 
over its failure to remove two videos posted by, they write, former model Jordan Shanks. Anyway, by Jordan to his YouTube channel in 2020. We know the videos, bras and uh, the other one, uh, which... <laughs> Uh, what was the other one? Ah, secret dictatorship. Anyway, the federal court has previously heard that Mr. Barillaro was considering self-harm and withdrew from politics as a result of the videos which used racial slurs such as WOG and which he says painted him as a, quote, corrupt con man, unquote. Now, Mr. Barillaro sued Mr. Shanks over the videos, however, settled last year, as we know, after the content creator apologised and edited both of the videos. However, the former member for Monero still pursued Google in the federal court over their failure to pull down the videos. The court heard that when Mr. Barillaro was asked about one of the videos by a journalist in 2020, he criticised them as racist. In response, Mr. Shanks posted another video making similar claims. His barrister, Sue Chrysanthu, said, Like many bullies, Mr. Shanks can't take it if he's called out and he has to lash back with more bullying. You know, I've been um, lampooned and, uh, you know, in the original spat that I have with uh, Jordan Shanks, I didn't feel bullied. I was trolled mercilessly for weeks. Didn't really feel bullied. When I got the arse from 2SM, I received death threats and I got hassled and people called me all sorts of names under the sun, um, you know, on uh, social media and all the rest of it. I didn't really feel bullied. Anyway, and, you know, and I, I certainly don't have as deep pockets as John Barillaro. He you know, said yesterday on the program that he said he made his fortune through hard work and long hours working with his old man before he entered politics. Yeah. Anyway, uh, earlier on Wednesday, Mr. Barillaro was grilled by Google's barrister, James uh, Malensky, SC, about a friendly Geordie's video posted in December 2021 focusing on him giving evidence to the Independent Commission Against Corruption about disclosures of intimate relationships. Hmm. The video then features Mr. Shanks claiming that someone purporting to be Mr. Barillaro had an account on the Ashley Madison website, which facilitates extramarital affairs. The barrister told Mr. Barillaro, there's never been any suggestion by you that there's any defamation imputation in that video about evidence you gave. When asked by Miss Chrysanthu, how he felt about Mr. Alemsky's questions, Mr. Barillaro replied that the, quote, defence from Google seems to be to defame me further, unquote. Oh, still crying, still whinging. All right, well, at least he's got millions upon millions of bucks in which to cry into. Now, in response, I noticed uh, that yesterday, uh, Jordan took to social media to say the article, uh, which I've just referred to, is based on the misleading chronology that Sue Chrysanthu and John Barillaro have presented to the court. Uh, Geordies goes on to say, they are trying to claim in court that the first time Barillaro heard about my videos was when a journalist approached him. This is despite Barillaro attacking my interview with Jody McKay on 2GB, and Barillaro watching in Parliament as Dom Perrottet launched an attack on the same interview before I even released the video. 
The Telegraph approached him for comment on. The record should be corrected immediately. So there we go. Yeah, I don't know how much money John Barillaro will get from Google. I imagine it will be in the higher range and there'll be just more money that he'll have in the back of his pocket in which to pull out every time he cries. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, I haven't really touched on this for the last week or so, but uh, there are more stories about housing affordability, in particular for first home buyers. Uh, I've mentioned on this program, oh God, I don't know how many times. It will, for a, an average Sydney home, take eight years for a young couple to save for a deposit. Uh, that's not sustainable, that's just ridiculous. Anyway, first home hopes fade. There is another call for action on affordability. Uh, look, I think it's, again, more words, but probably will never be backed up with any action. The Australian dream of owning your own home is dead, according to new research, which found 70% of voters believe young people will never be able to break into the market. And the polling, which was done for the Property Council, found that for people struggling to buy their first home, housing affordability would be the highest factor in deciding their vote in the forthcoming federal election. (laughs) Well, if that's the case, the LNP are in strife. Our research shows four out of every five aspiring homeowners actually believe the dream of home ownership is unachievable, which you'd have to say is incredibly disheartening. That's from the Property Council Chief Executive Ken Morrison. He said it's no wonder more than three quarters of 18 to 34-year-olds say it's one of the most important issues that will determine their votes in May of this year. Now, an essential media poll of 1,100 people found women are more concerned than men about housing affordability. Really? Okay. Older voters are also very concerned. The data shows 82% of over 55-year-olds say while they believe home ownership is crucial to financial security, 70% of them also believe that that dream is fading for future generations. So in other words, they are concerned about their kids or their grandkids. And that makes sense. Westmead Private Hospital nurse uh, Hamantha Achira, who's only 29, has been quoted in the story. She's from Colby in Western Sydney. She's been trying to buy her first time for more than two years. She told News Corp, it is very difficult. I feel as though I am one step lower than the market every time. Just when I think I'm in a position to buy, I see the market going crazy again. Now, the young nurse said at one point she actually just gave up in despair at ever being able to buy her own home. When I came back and started looking again, a house I had seen on the market two years before was on sale again, but guess what? It had increased in price by 25%. That's in just two years. The Property Council has launched an election campaign to push political candidates to take a stand on housing affordability. It comes on the back of a future Western Sydney campaign which revealed failures of governance at all levels had led to a shortfall of 100,000 new homes. Housing affordability, hey? It is a concern. 
and it will continue to be until something constructive, yeah, pun intended, is done about it. How do we get to building and developing more affordable housing in our major markets, our major cities, including most importantly Sydney, but also Melbourne and Brisbane in particular? How do we do it? And do you believe that it is a major issue of the upcoming election in May? Let me know. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au Well, that's it for this week. Thank you very much. What's that? The third week down of this new venture. I hope you're enjoying the program. I know we're picking up more uh, listeners each and every day. And if you wouldn't mind, just pass it on for us. Uh, Word of mouth will get us uh, more and more people tuning in to Marcus Paul in the morning on Starter FM Live between 7 and 9. Let people know how they can listen, either on the uh, the Starter page or on the iHeartRadio app or TuneIn Radio, however way you choose to listen. And, of course, the podcast, uh, which we will upload. It'll be on your podcast platforms a little later this morning. Enjoy your weekend. Please stay safe. If you're stuck in all that rain again that seems to just not want to go away, please be very careful in it. If you come across some flooded roadways, if it's flooded, forget it. Don't be a flood idiot, okay? Um, we don't want to have any more loss of life or, or people being injured in floodwaters. And I just want the sun to come back out. I really do. I think we've had enough water for quite some time. Uh, thank you again to all the hard workers from the SES and, uh, and those first responders. Thank you to all the coppers on the beat. And everybody, uh, you know, driving your ambulances and the paramedics and nurses and doctors and everybody looking after us. I hope you all have a a wonderful weekend. And in particular for our emergency services, I hope you have a quiet one. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Okay, well, you can leave your comments on the Facebook page. There'll there'll be plenty of posts up there that you can um, interact with Marcus Paul in the morning on Facebook. Some exciting news next week. A couple of new sponsors coming on board, which uh, is good. I might be able to eat something more than two-minute noodles. Anyway, so that's all coming up. If you want to be involved in the program, I'm after a major sponsor too for my Facebook page. It is one of the most interactive of all radio Facebook pages here in the country. And I'm after a major sponsor. All right, so if you know of a company that might be interested, make sure you get them involved and maybe get them to send me an email. Uh, Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au and their brand could very well be uh, exposed to, you know, three quarters of a million people every 28 days or whatever the page reaches. Slowly going up again. It's good news. I think I might, I need Jordan to do another post for me. That might help. Speaking of friendly Geordies, um, I'm still trying to get Jordan on the uh, the program. I'll, if he won't come on next week, I'll get Christo, hey? He's just as newsworthy these days, isn't he? Thank you again to Alex um, for, for producing the program, doing a great job, mate, as always. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. And Daniel as well, uh, who's looking after the music. I hope you're enjoying that. Alex and Daniel, the hardworking boys behind Starter FM, do a great job, and they've got a great little package and uh, brand that's out there in the market. Try and support them as well, if you can, if you perhaps want to get on board with advertising on the Starter FM uh, webpage. Get in contact. Send us an email. Okay, all the contact details are on the page. Starterfm.com.au. It's time for me to go. Bye now. Catch you next week on Marcus Paul in the Morning.